This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Purim today, Purim, 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 and Megillat Esther. And let's just start off by discussing the important people involved in the story. So who do we have in the story? We have basically, how many people do we have in the story? We have Esther, we have Achashverosh, we have Mordechai, and Haman. Okay, four Protagonist over here, protagonist. We also see another queen called Vashti. So we have five people to basically discuss. The whole story revolves around five people. But it also has a stories about Big Tan and Teresh, right? Who make a short appearance, very short appearance, Big Tan and Teresh. We have at the end, we have the, the episode of Harbona. Harbona. Yeah. Harbona, we say at the end of the, tour, of the reading, we say, Gam Harbona Zachulatop. Harbona should be mentioned for good. So we have at least, how many people do we have to talk about? And then we have Hatach, and we have uh, Hegai, and, and other characters. Okay, but those are the, four char- the main four characters, main protagonists. So number one, let's discuss, who should we discuss first? Let's pick one. Mordechai. Mordechai, it says, Mordechai HaYehudi. It's the first time the Torah uses the word Yehudi, Jew. Why is it the first time you use the word Jew? Where does the word Jew come from? I just gave it away. Yehudi. Where does Yehudi come from? Yehuda. Judah. Judah was the son of Yaakov. What's the difference between Yehudi and Yehudi? Same thing. Different languages. The Arabs say Yehudi. Right? The Hebrew is Yehudi. Yehudi. The Arabs say Yahud. The, the first There's no difference. Uh, what does it represent? Okay, don't worry, we'll talk about it. So Yehuda, he comes from Yehuda. Jews comes from the word Judea. The, uh, the southern kingdom of Israel was called Judea. Judea after Yehuda. Yehuda, the tribe of Judah, lived there. The tribe of Judah was from Yerushalayim to Beersheba. Everyone together. From Yerushalayim to Beersheba. The south of Israel was the tribe of Judah. And that was a separate entity. The northern kingdom were the ten tribes. Remember, the tribes broke up. From the time of King Saul, King Saul, everyone was united under King Saul. Everyone was united under King David. Everyone was united under King Solomon. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the tribe split, unfortunately. Very tragic. That was the beginning of the end of the northern kingdom when the tribe split. Mm-hmm. It's a tragedy. Whenever Jews split, that's the worst thing. So we have to be united. When Israel is united, thank God Israel today is united. More or less, I don't know. <laughs> but right, hanging, it's hanging on by a thread. They're, hang, they're united. Baruch Hashem, they're united. There's one army, there's one navy, there's one air force. Right. They're united. There's no two states, Baruch Hashem. It's one state. And that's very, very important because we see what happened was that the Jews split into two states. The northern kingdom of Israel had ten tribes and the southern kingdom of Judah had two. two. That's what we're left with. <laughs> and so the two tribes, who are the two tribes that remained in Judah? Binyamin. Binyamin and... Yehuda. Benjamin and Yehuda. And Mordechai was from? Benjamin. Very good. So, but he's called the Yehudi. Why? Because the, the whole state was now called the state of Yehuda. Judah. So the state was called the state of Judah. Everyone who lived in the state of Judah was a? Jew. Jew. Yehudi. Yehudi. <laughs> so even though he's from Benjamin, he was called the Yehudi. It's the first time the Torah uses the word Yehudi. Now we have a new category of Jew. Before that, it was the Ivrim. Mm-hmm. B'nai Israel, the Hebrews and the sons of Israel, children of Israel. Now we have a new word. Unfortunately, this word has been used today to describe Jews. Yehudi is now Jew. Okay. 
So Jew is not such a nice, if you look at the Oxford, the Oxford Dictionary, other dictionaries, they use the word Jew in a very derogatory sense. Why? Very derogatory Why? sense. Why? Because we have to understand the persecution of the Christians. Unfortunately, a terrible persecution went through the Christians. The Christians would not allow the Jews to work any other trade but lending money. That's all they were allowed to do. Weren't allowed to own land. Weren't allowed to work the soil. Weren't allowed to do anything. Carpenters, nothing. We're not allowed to. So they had to lend money. So they hated us even more. Because who are the Jews? The Jews are the money lenders. Therefore, they're the bad people. And so that's what they stuck us with, label. So they labeled us as, and Jew became a bad word, unfortunately, yeah, tragic. Because, because of being a moneylender. Yeah. <clears throat> that's a tragic, that's what they did to us. They made yeah. us into a nation of moneylenders, and they looked down upon us and wanted to kill us. And anyway, let's, let's not talk about that. That's a very sad situation, sad episode, which... Uh, which the Pope recognized, uh, what is it, 1950? 1965. 65. 65, what's it called? Italian. What's it called? I don't uh, know what it is. Okay, okay, so 1965. 1965, finally said that we did not kill. Right. Anyway, <laughs> so anyway, so uh, it's uh, tragic, very tragic. Yeah, the, the years anyway, so Mordechai was the first Yehudi. Mordechai was from royal descent. He was descended from King Shaul. Shaul. King Saul. He was the descendant of King Saul, who was the first king of Israel. All of Israel. King Saul was the first king. Mordechai... The generation of King Saul did not inherit. The generation of King Saul was in Israel. They inherited all of Israel. And, but Saul, Saul himself, unfortunately, he didn't complete it. Didn't complete it. How did Saul wake up David? Mm-hmm. So how did Saul generation... Saul, Saul was killed by the Philistines. They were killed, but he was killed by the Philistines, and David took over. Anyway, so he was a descendant of King Saul. King Saul's father, his name was Kish. Kish. So the rabbis say the word Kish comes from the word Lehakish, which is knocking. Kish's prayers were like knocking on God's door. It's a beautiful idea. The idea of Kish. Kish means knocking. His prayers were like when you pray. When we pray, we are knocking on. God's doors, we don't realize that. So a person's praying, it's like we're knocking. So now the question is, is God going to open the door or not? So if God's going to answer our prayer, He's going to open the door for us. If God's not going to open the door, He's going to leave the door closed. Whatever that means, it's symbolic. So when we pray, it's like we are knocking. It's amazing. When a child is crying, it's like he is knocking on your door. He wants your attention. So you can even give him attention or not. That's opening the door, closing the door. Anyway, it's, it's a symbol, but quiche is a very beautiful idea of praying is knocking on the door. So when our prayers are answered, God opens the doors. And the trick of Mordecai was to pray and pray and pray and pray and keep praying. And then finally the Jews were saved. So he's mm-hmm. called Ben Yair, Ben Shimi, Ben Kish. Now, Shimi, who was Shimi? Shimi was Shimi Ben Gera. Shimi was a grandson of King Saul, a relative of King Saul. And Shimi was the one when David Amelech was running away from his son Avshalom. Avshalom was a terrible son. He was like what's he called, the, the re- rebellious son. Mm-hmm. If there ever was a rebellious child in the Tanakh, Avshalom fits the category. He rebelled against his father. He wanted to kill his own father. He wanted to be the king. And can you imagine, at his old age, David Amir is an old man now. He's an old king, <laughs> and he's faced with a rebellion with his own, his own family. Can you imagine? Terrible, terrible. His own son comes with an army to kill him. Can you imagine? So David runs away from Yushalayim. He runs into the desert, the desert of Judah, and who is there? Shimi ben Gera is waiting for him. What is Shimi ben Gera doing? He's cursing him out. Terrible curses. 
says, Klalot Nimretzet. He just kept on cursing. Curse, what a curse after another. He says, you killed my, my grandfather. You're responsible for uh. the blood of Shaul. And, uh, da, da, da. and David's warriors want to take vengeance. But you know what? He says, don't. He says, don't touch them. Let him be, let him curse. If God wants him to curse, let him curse. Everything is in God's hands. Imagine David Menach says, everything is in God's hands. If God wants him to curse, let him curse. And he let him alive. And Shimi has a baby. And from that baby comes Mordechai. David Melech's mercy. Imagine, someone's cursing you and you want to kill him. And you have the, you have the power to kill him. You're the king. It's treason. He can kill him. He says, you know what? It's in God's hands. He wants to curse me. Let him curse me. And then uh, that's it. He left him alone, and he had a child, and from that child comes Mordechai. So Mordechai was saved by King David's mercy. And uh, that's why Mordechai ben Yair ben Shimi, you have to understand, Shimi, who is Shimi? Shimi was Shimi ben Gera, who cursed David Amalekh. So, yes? I thought a king is not allowed to... I thought a king is not allowed to... Um, You're right, he's not. A king is a very good point. A king, a Jewish king, is not allowed to forgive for his honor. Why? Because it's not his honor. His honor is the, it's the nation's honor. The king is the national figurehead. And therefore, it's like, if I insult uh, Trump, it's not like I'm insulting Trump, I'm insulting the American people. Because right. they voted for him. They, they, he represents the people. The king represents the Jewish people. So if a king is insulted, it's an insult to the Jewish people. How can he forgive it? And the answer is he didn't forgive it. What he did was he delayed. He delayed taking vengeance on Shimi ben Gira. He tells his son Shlomo, Shlomo, he says, you're smart. Find a way to get rid of him. Uh, but he didn't. The fact is he withheld his anger. And he controlled himself, imagine. And he said, let God handle this. I'm not going to handle this right now. But he did pay back Shimi ben Gira a couple of generations, not generations, maybe tens of years later. Okay? And he didn't do it. His son Shlomo, uh, because of that, because of the point, you're not allowed to forgive the king is not allowed to forgive his honor. His, it's not his honor. It's the honor of the people. So, But it was done much later. In the meantime, Shimi has a son. And from that son comes Mordechai Yehudi. Amazing. So David Abelak's mercy created our salvation. Thank God. However, on the other hand, King Saul had mercy on... Who do you have mercy on? Come on, guys. Haman. Let me, let me hint, hint to you. Oh, Haman Ben. It's called the Agagi. Haman Ha'agagi. What's Agag? Who is Agag? Agag was the king of Amalek. And King Saul had a mission to destroy Amalek. Now we have to understand who is Amalek. Amalek was... Who can tell me? Who is Amalek? A grandson of Asaph. The grandson of Asaph. Amalek was the grandson of Asaph. Our own relative. He was a relative. Yeah, one's own enemies are usually one's relatives, unfortunately. All our enemies are relatives. At one time, we were all brothers. Imagine. Esav is Yaakov's brother and his biggest enemy. It's hard to imagine that. Oh, brother. Yishmael was Yitzhak's brother. Enemy. All our enemies are related to us. Why? Why is that? So the answer is, going to, in God's plan, there's always a separation. It's called the birur, Kabbalistic. It's, it's very, there's birurim. What's birurim? Every generation being separated. It's a good and bad, separated, good and bad. The parents are mixtures. The children come out separate entities. One is the good part of the parent, one is the bad part of the parent. It's strange. But it's right to have good children is such a big 
It means the parents are pretty much purified already. I hope. Who knows? <laughs> we hope. But everyone has good events. So Abraham Avinu had good parts and bad parts that came out in two sides. Yitzhak Avinu had good parts and bad parts that came out in two sides. So not just Yitzhak, it's just Yitzhak and Rivka together. It's, not, it's, a, it's a package deal. Your, your wife and you, it's between you and your wife. So if your wife has got some bad relatives, usually comes out of the children. It says when you get married, you have to look at your well, your wife's brother, because your son will be like your wife's brother. Uh, my, my oldest son is exactly the spitting image of my wife's brother, but he's totally different. <laughs> okay, so when you get married, look at your wife's brother, because that's who your children come out like. Okay, it doesn't matter. That's a little bit of advice. That's what they tell us. Okay. So anyway, so let's go back. So Shaul had mercy on the king of Amalek. Agag. Kept him alive. Agag has a child, and from that child comes Haman. So you see, misplaced mercy. Mercy on a cruel person is cruelty. Mercy on a good person is you get good people out of it. So that's Mordechai, and that's uh, Haman. And Haman, it says, where are the roots? Let's go back. Mordechai is where are the roots of his name. Mordechai is not a Jewish name. You know that? You know that? No. Mordechai is not a Jewish name. Mordechai comes from Marduk. It's, an, it's, a, it's a Persian name. Marduk is one of the gods ah. of Persia. Amazing, Marduk. So the rabbis looked for a source for the name Mordechai, and they found it in Parshat Kitisa, which we're going to read in two weeks' time. And over there it talks about the spices of the incense. How many spices in the incense? How many spices in the incense? How many spices? In the incense. Every day they offered up incense in the temple twice a day. Eleven. Eleven spices in the incense. And one of the spices is called more. What is more in English? Myrrh. M-Y-R-H-H, if I'm right. Myrrh. Myrrh. So one of the spices in the incense is made from, don't ask me where it's made from, something in a deer. In some part of a deer, you can look it up, Someone can look it up now and look it up and tell me what myrrh is made from some part of a deer. You don't want to go there and even, it's so disgusting. Deer. Deer, the animal. Okay, so. I just want to uh, tell everyone that uh, Mordechai has a special meaning in the Arabic language. It means uh, uh, the illnesses of life. Okay. So, what is, uh, what is Mordechai in Hebrew? And the answer is the rabbis learned out two words. Mor dror. Mor dror. That's how the Torah describes Mor dror, which in Aramaic is translated, Uncle is translated as Maradachia. Maradachia, pure myrrh. Pure myrrh. Mordechai is pure myrrh. It's one of the beautiful smells in the incense. So, Kemet Mordechai in the Jewish vernacular is nice smell. His name means a pleasant smell. Mordechai had a pleasant smell. Haman. Where is Haman mentioned in the Torah? Anyone? Where is Haman mentioned in the Torah? And the answer is, he's not mentioned in the Torah. But there's a hint to Haman in the Torah. When Adam Rishon, King Adam, Adam, he eats from the fruits. And God tells him, Hamin ha'etz hazeh. Did you eat from this tree? The word Hamin has got the same letters as Haman. Hey mem nun. Hamin and Haman. What's the connection between Adam and Haman? And the answer is, this amazing connection. It's a very important psychological message for all of us. And that is, a person has everything. Mm-hmm. Who had the most things? Can you imagine? Adam Harishon has? Everything. It's interesting. If you look at the Torah, what is the first command given to Adam? The first command given to Adam? Do not eat from that. Huh? Put in the 
Eat. Eat from the trees. Beautiful. Excellent. People forget that. Most people think the mitzvah is not to eat from the tree. That's not the first. That's the second mitzvah. The first mitzvah was you can eat from any tree you want. Except. And then except. <laughs> from the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from any tree. Imagine. Hashem. Hashem says, can imagine, we put in the world. Hashem says, you can eat whatever you want. As long as it's kosher. <laughs> so same thing with Adam. Can imagine, all the trees, you can eat from any tree you want. Except from this tree. And what does Adam say? That's the tree I want. Right. The tree I can't have is what I want. It's always reverse psychology. Imagine, it applies to all the kids. You tell him you can do anything you want in this house except for this. And straight away, he's going to go and do right whatever. So what you do is you reverse it. You just say, look, you're not allowed to eat. The kid comes in, he has no appetite. You're not allowed to eat. I'm putting food for everyone else, not for you. Oh, yeah? Okay, I'm going to eat. <laughs> So is that allowed in Jewish law? So I, seen, I saw a rabbi say it's not allowed. Why? You're teaching the kid to tell lies. In a sense, you're teaching him that you're lying. You're lying to get him to do it. So that he'll realize, if he, once he grows older, he'll realize you're lying all the time. But anyway, so I think it's good. I think it's a good idea. Why? It works. Reverse psychology always works. So Hashem says, you can eat from all the trees. But you're not allowed to eat from this tree. Hashem says, okay. So he ate from all the trees and, and from this tree as well. So what do we see? A person has everything except for one thing. That's, That's the one thing they want. Wants. Haman, everyone bowed down to him. Except for Mordecai. But then he said when he saw Mordecai, Mordecai not only would not bow to him, he wouldn't even move. Right. He wouldn't even go like this. <laughs> you see someone honorable going, right? You give him a little bit of honor. No, nothing. Just sat there as if he didn't, like a stone. Like he ignored Haman completely. And Haman said, whatever I have is not worth anything. When I remember Haman, when I, when I remember Mordechai, when I see Mordechai sitting over there not moving, whatever I have is worthless. And he had millions and millions of dollars. He was the second richest man in the whole kingdom. He had lots of children, he had everything. He had, this man had everything you ever desire, except one thing, and that one thing was this Jew Mordechai does not bow down to him. And that ruined his day, that ruined his life, that ruined everything he had. So what do we learn from this story is be happy with what you have. Even though you don't have one thing or two things or 50 things, it doesn't ruin your life. Just because you don't have something doesn't make it ruin your life. Those are going to count their blessings. And that's what Adam didn't do. And that's what Haman didn't do. There was a connection between Haman and Adam. Amazing. That they have everything and they have nothing. It's tragic. A person may have everything and still feel like I'm missing. The truth is, if you have all the, all the physical things but you don't have the soul... And a person is very depressed. People are get depressed today because they don't have a soul. Why do they have a soul? Because they don't learn Torah. Learn Torah, do mitzvot. You feel good about yourself. So we did Haman, right? We did Mordechai. We did... Who else did we do? We did uh, Haman, Mordechai, and now we're going to move on to Esther. Esther. Who was Esther? Esther, the Talmud, <laughs> Esther, the Talmud says, was not a Hebrew name. Esther is not a Jewish name. Amazing. A star, a star, a star is from a star. Another god of the Persians, Marduk and Hest. Amazing, Ishtar, two gods of the Persians. Amazing. What was her Jewish name? What was Esther's Jewish name? Hadassah. Hadassah. He Esther. Hadassah was Esther. That's a Jewish name. Hadassah means Myrtle. 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 You're named after her. (laughs) <laughs> the Jewish name of Esther was Hadassah. Mm-hmm. Hadassah was Esther. The Jewish name was Hadassah. 
Her Persian name was Esther. What can I tell you? Today, Esther became a Jewish name because it's named after her. Mordechai also became a Jewish name. It became a Jewish name. It's like Alexander. Right? We start naming our kids Alexander because it's named after Alexander the Great, who didn't interfere with the temple service. We, we gave him the honor of Shimon Sadiq, gave him the honor of calling our children Alexander. So a lot of these names came Jewish names, but they weren't Jewish names originally. So Esther is a good example. It was not a Jewish name originally, but it became a Jewish name because of her. She was the first Esther in Jewish history. And Mordechai became a Jewish name because it was first Mordechai in history, named after him. Well, it's interesting how these names became sanctified. What a good word, sanctified. The names the Jews used, these names started becoming sanctified. So even though they're not originally Jewish names. Okay, so Esther, where is Esther mentioned in the Torah? It's one of the curses in Parshat Ki Tavo. Hashem says, Vanochi Haster Astir Panai. I will hide my face from them. So it's the hidden face of God. What do you mean the hidden face of God? What does it mean, a hidden face? And the answer is, from this time on, there's no revealed miracles. No more revealed miracles. God's face is hidden in history. It's very hard. I think, look at the word history. I think it comes from the word Esther as well. History is the Hester Panim. History, the word history, is the hiddenness of God in history. Now you have to like, even the Megillah itself. The Megillah itself covers the span of 12 years. The Megillah is pointing out to us God's presence behind the scenes. Because the Megillah points out certain episodes in what happened over 12 years to tell you that God is there behind the scenes preparing... The rescue of the Jews before the damage done by Haman. So let's go through the Megillah. So number one is Haman. Haman is Haminaetz. Haman is a guy who's never satisfied whatever he has. He may have everything. He's still missing one thing. It ruins his life. Mordechai, we said, is pleasant smell. Mordechai was a wise man who people could smell with his goodness. People could feel his goodness. And even Achashverosh realized Mordechai's goodness because Mordechai saved his life. Right? He's the kind of guy you need when you have you need him in trouble. You're in trouble, you need a Mordechai. And Mordechai was the son of Kish. Kish would knock. His prayers were like knocking on the door of Hashem. Knocking, knock, 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 knock. His prayers would not stop. He was like a bugaboo, a, a spiritual bugaboo. The best person who prays is a person who prays without stopping. Just keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Every day, every day, every day. Number three, we talked about Hester. Hester... Esther is Hester Pani, which is God's face is hidden in history. It's one of the curses in Parshat Ki I will hide my face from them. And number four, who do we have to talk about? Hashverosh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashverosh. Now, who was a Hashverosh? Was he a nice guy or, or a bad guy? What do you say? Was he a nice guy? Would you like to have Hashverosh over to your house? No. <laughs> Anyone who can decide at a stroke of a pen to destroy a whole nation is evil. Anyone who can just sign off on a decree, killing a whole people, can you imagine? He signed off on a decree to kill a whole nation. As if it was just nothing. He told Haman, keep the money and take the nation and do whatever you want. Imagine. He's sitting in the middle of a party. How evil can you get just right off a nation with just a touch of a pen? I mean, it's hard to imagine, right? Ah, the Jew, okay, take them. Haman said, I'll pay you 10,000 talents of silver. A lot of money. Ooh. And Hashverosh says, take him. I don't, I don't need the money. Just take him and do whatever you want. Just write him off. That's how evil he was. Hashverosh was a very evil person. We don't... People, you know, in schools, they tell the kids, he was a fool, he's an idiot. He wasn't. He was the biggest schemer. 
He was the smartest guy, and we're going to see how the Megillah talks about him as the smartest guy in history. He was no buffoon, even though the Gemara says his name, Achash Verosh. So number one, they say, Ach Shelrosh. He was the brother of the king. He was the brother of the king, and he killed his own brother. That's how evil was. That's the first explanation. Second explanation was, he gave very long speeches. And a person who was sitting over there, let's say, Ach Roshi, he's giving me a headache. <laughs> Ach Roshi, my head, oi, my head, Ach Roshi. So it's two different opinions. One opinion says he was de- devilish to the point. He killed his own brother, who was the king, took over. Number two is, he would just drive everyone crazy and make them give headaches. He would give them all headaches. Okay. So maybe he gave them headaches because he made them drink a lot of wine. We're going to see uh, in the story. So Hashverosh was evil, completely evil. I don't know how Esther was stuck with this man who was a monster. Really, literally, he was a monster. And we're going to see. I mean, he was a real monster. This man was a monster. So people think, yeah, Hashverosh, nice guy. He let the Jews go. Yeah, but he first he wanted to kill them. Just her influence and Mordechai's influence changed the picture. And he was not a fool in any point because a fool in those days was killed, bumped off very fast. The fact that he stayed as a king, he was ruthless, he was evil, and he was very, very smart. So don't get any impression that Hashem was an idiot. He was no idiot. He couldn't be an idiot and hold on to power in those days. Okay, we are moving on. We are on the first page, which is number eight, by the way. So what happens in Jewish books. The first page is not number one. It's either number there's two. There's a long introduction before that. Yeah, there's a long introduction. So let's go into the Megillah and read the Megillah, the words of the Megillah, which are holy. Now, what's interesting is there is no name God in the Megillah. Right. There's no mention of God's name in the Megillah. Why not? So number one is we said it's Hester Farim. It's God's face is hidden. So the Megillah hides God's face. We are meant to see God behind the history. So the Megillah is pointing us how to, it's giving us pointers. How do you find God in this story? Amazing. The Megillah is giving us pointers. So the Megillah is giving us highlight certain events mm-hmm. where we see that God is poking his, his fingers in the history. So that's, so it's giving us certain events. So it's not in any particular order. It's a very interesting. The Megillah is in an order which is, which tells us the good things that happened, prepares us for the downfall of the Jewish people. And then it gives us back and tells us this is how they were saved. God already prepared Jewish safety before even Haman came on the scene. How, is it, how does it start? It starts with parties. You know, it's interesting. One of, the mitzvot, one of the mitzvot of Purim is, it's very strange. We're not drinkers. Jews are not drinkers. Right. The rabbi said, don't drink. We have many stories in the Tanakh against drinking. What is the first one? Noah. Noah comes out of the ark, and the first thing he does is he plants a vineyard, and he's wallowing in his uh, drunken stupor, naked in his tent, and his brother is whatever. Number two, where's the other story? Quickly. Lot. Lot gets drunk, and his daughter's, oh, disgusting. And then number three, according to some opinions, where's number three? Nadav and Avihu, the sons of Aaron. Mm. They're struck they down. Go, like, they go they into the to... temple and they're struck yeah, down yeah. in the Mishkan. So the question over there, one of the opinions over there is because they were drunk. Right. Others just... How do we know? Because the next section of the Torah says, tells, tell Aaron, don't serve yeah. God when you're drunk. So what's it going to do with over here? And the answer is the rabbi say, because they were drunk. Yes. Also, Samson? Samson was, was sleeping. Oh, no, not drunk. 
She kept on bugging, bugging, bugging. Delila. Delila comes to the word Delila. Delila comes to the word Dalil, which is to to water things down. She watered his strength down. She made him weak. She's like we're putting water in your wine. What is the wine? Delila comes from the word to to water down, to make softer, to make uh, weaker. She weakened him down. Terrible, terrible name. He should learn to have just from her name. Delila comes from night, Lila, and uh, bad things and darkness. Unfortunately, she got him. Does Delila have a special meaning? Yeah, I told you. Night. It comes with Lila. Lila. Oh, Lila. And Dalil. Dalil means to water things down, to make them weak. <coughs> he really made, she made him weak. She cut off his hair. So she was a disaster. She was a disaster. Never marry a woman like Delila. She has the word Delila. <laughs> Hello, see you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay. So the, the Megillah starts off with a party. Why is that? So why do we have a party on Purim? So we talk about our question is why? There's a mitzvah to drink on Purim. Why do you want to drink on Purim? So it says, there's an interesting Gemara. The Gemara says, getting, getting drunk is bad for the righteous and bad for the world. If a righteous man is drunk, that means he's not learning to write. He's not doing mitzvot. He's out of action bad. Whereas drunkenness for evil people is very good. Because they're busy, they're sleeping, and they're getting in their, their trouble. They're <laughs> ineffective. Trouble. They can't get into trouble. Beautiful. So there is a good side to partying. Because in the party of Ahasuerus, he was so confused in this party, she got him drunk, and he saved the Jewish people. So there's a good side to drunk, drunkenness for evil people. So anyways, we see there's a good thing in everything. Everything God created is something good. Even in something which is bad, there is, can be used sometimes for good. That's what we recognize on Purim. On Purim, we recognize that nafokhu. Sometimes the good is bad, and sometimes the bad is good. Everything has a purpose in the world. Even drunkenness can be used sometimes for good. Yeah, this is here. Okay, we are now moving into the first page of the Megillah. And it was in the days of Ahasuerosh. And who is Ahasuerosh? In English, his name is Artaxerxes. If you look up the history books, you won't find any Hashverosh. You'll find Artaxerxes. Okay? That's it. That was his Persian name, Artaxerxes. And if you look in the book of Ezra, it brings it down. So Hashverosh is this Hebrew version of his name, Hashverosh. Now, what's interesting is the Megillah starts with the word Vayhi. And we have a general rule, whenever it starts with the word vaihi, vai is woe. It's a bad thing. Something bad is going to happen. If, you don't. if it says vihaya, vihaya is very good, happy. Vaihi is sad. So it was in the days of Hashverosh, who reigned from Hordu to Kush, which is from India all the way to Ethiopia. India on the east, and Ethiopia and Africa on the west. Amazing, what a massive empire. The Persian Empire is one of the ma- mightiest empires the world's ever seen. People don't realize the Persian Empire is 127 countries. The massive empire. And the problem the Persians had when they fought the Greeks was their army couldn't talk to each other. They had different languages. Are you referring to the Ottoman Empire? No, Ottoman is much later, much later, hundreds of years later. The Ottoman was recent. The Muslims are only from the year 600 CE. Right. The Muslims. Yeah, very, yeah, yeah. This happened huh? 2,500 years ago. Very old. Ottoman went even further. Yeah, down. you're right. Okay, the Ottoman. Okay, the but over here we're talking about the Persian Empire went all the way to India, all the way to India, all the way to Ethiopia. The Ottoman Empire never got to that. So it's bigger. They never got to Europe. So the Persians never got to Europe. The Greeks stopped them. They're trying to conquer Greece. 
instead of the, they can't, instead of the Persians conquering Greece, Greece conquered them. It's amazing. That's amazing that Alexander the Great conquered the, uh, the Persian Empire. Amazing. But it was, the Persians were good to the Jews. You know, I mean, we have to understand that. Uh, and they say, you know, they say that themselves. The, the Iran today says we were good to the Jews. So why aren't you good to us now? Why do you want right. to destroy Israel? Well, we want to be in control. That's why. We want to be the boss. When we're the bosses, we'll be good to you. You know, the bosses want to kill you. Crazy. So, uh, the Persians helped us rebuild the temple. You have to understand that the temple was rebuilt under the Persians. Mm-hmm. So, Hashverosh stops the temple being built. The temple was being rebuilt by Cyrus the Great. You heard of Cyrus the Great? Koresh. Great empire, emperor of uh, Persia, who really f- had faith in God. He was a religious non-Jew, Cyrus. Very, a lot of Jews today are named Cyrus. I know Jews uh, come from per- Iran. What's your name? Cyrus. Makes sense. They named themselves after Koresh, this great emperor, who believed in God, trusted in God, and God elevated him. And he allowed the Jews to rebuild the temple. Ahasuerus comes along, no rebuilding temple. Stop the rebuilding of the temple. But his son, Ahasuerus' son, was half Jewish. Darius II, he allowed them to rebuild the temple. So something good <laughs> Esther did, we're going to see, she really, Esther, people don't realize, sacrificed herself completely. She has no Jewish descendants. This is her descendant. This is what we have. That's why we give this such a high honor. Well, just to keep her name her alive. Was Jewish. was Jewish. Technically Jewish, but not right. really Jewish. He adopted all the... His father's... He was the king. King of Persia. Mm-hmm. He had to adopt the kings, of, the Persian king's ways. So Thomas says, is he a Jew or not? When he thought about Jerusalem, he was Jewish. When he thought about Persia, he was a non-Jew. In other words, he was a mixed. It's like Benjamin Disraeli. Yeah, Benjamin Disraeli. <laughs> Benjamin Disraeli was a tragic figure because he was baptized at the age of 13 instead of a bar mitzvah. Imagine. It's crazy. His father was mad, nuts. His father had a fight with the synagogue. Imagine. At that time, it was the only synagogue in the whole of England. It's still going today. Bevis Marks. It's the first synagogue built by the Portuguese Jews who came from... Uh, came Spain, from Spain, Portugal. Amsterdam, Amsterdam. From, from Holland. The Jews of Spain and, and, uh, and Portugal, Portugal ran to Ho- Holland. Holland had a free society. You're allowed to worship where you want. It was one of the first countries in the world that had a freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. Well, not really Holland, but I'm talking about Western Europe. Holland was the only place the Jews come out, run away from Spain and Portugal, and say, I'm Jewish. They're Moranos. And they moved to London, and they built this synagogue, Bevis Marks, and he was a member of the synagogue. But he had a fight, how much he's going to pay for the bar mitzvah. And he says, heck with you, I'm going to join the church. Imagine, take his son. Instead of being learning from his bar mitzvah, he goes to the church and baptizes him. So Disraeli did not consider himself a Christian. He did not consider himself a Jew. He says when he went to Queen Victoria, she was his, he was her favorite, her favorite prime minister. And she asked him, what are you? He said, bring me a Bible. So their, their Bibles have two sides to it. One is the New Testament, one is the Old Testament. Right. He said, he opens the white pages in between. He says, here I am. I'm the white pages in between. <laughs> oh, great. Poor fellow. He died with no children. And that was the end of him. Okay. Tragic, tragic. But it wasn't his fault. It was a stupid father's fault. Okay, so how do we get to that? I don't know. Okay, so <laughs> we are in the party. Okay, parties. Some parties are good. Ashwarosh had a massive empire. And when he sat on his royal throne, in the third year of his reign, he makes a feast. Why the third year? Why the third year? Why not the first year? Right. And the answer is because he was scared that his reign would not last. 
he had to get rid of all his enemies first. Till his reign is solid. Imagine, it takes a long, it, it takes a while for your reign to be Vashti. established. Wasn't Vashti his father? Coming to Vashti, we're coming to Vashti. Okay. So the third year of his reign, he makes a feast. He now has enough power not to think that someone's going to kill him in the middle of the feast. Come on, it's scary, you make a feast. So now we're going to see, he makes a feast. How long is this feast? Years. Months. Weeks. Six months. Six months, 180 days. Look, read inside. He makes a feast for who? All his officials and his servants, the army, the nobles, the officials. He displays his riches, his glorious kingdom. And the splendor of his excellent management. Imagine every day another mirror, another beautiful thing. I get different, <coughs> different parts of my empire. One day India, one day Pakistan, one day uh, Ethiopia, one day I'm showing off his wealth. He's showing off his wealth. Each country gets so much. He gets this and he gets that, all these, all these different things. His splendor. Just to impress who? The main people, the officials, the army, the nobility, everyone. And what? And look what it says over here. And then he makes another feast just for the people in his local city, Shushan. How long? Seven days. Seven days for regular people. 180 days for the nobility. 180 days feast. Listen, I can't, I can't sit in a party more than three hours. <laughs> I get antsy. I can't. Yeah. It's too much. Especially the noise and the music. 180 day long party. And he makes another party a week long. For everyone in Shushan, the capital city, everyone. And it goes into details, okay? And then it says a very important rule. On verse 8. Have a look at verse 8. And the drinking was... Ashtiyah Kedat. According to the law? Without coercion. Uh-huh. The second party, you could drink as much as you want. You didn't have to drink a certain amount. Which tells you that the first party... You had orders to drink a lot. There were orders. How much you got to drink? Why? It's a party for nobility. I want to know what the nobility are thinking about me. How do I find out what someone is thinking about me? Get drunk. Get them drunk. <laughs> you get all the secrets out. <laughs> it says, Nichnas Yain Yatsasud. The wine goes in, the secrets come out. If you want to know what someone's really thinking, get them drunk. Another word, spies. If you want to know what they're drinking, make them drunk. They use spies. Yeah, exactly. That's how you, how you get the, the, word, the words out. Get them, yeah, have booze, have some booze, have some booze. The guy gets drunk and he starts talking. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Yeah, tell you whatever you want. <laughs> it's interesting. The gamachia, the word yayin, and the gamachia, the word sod, equal. Yayin is how much? What's the gamachia? Yayin. Yud is? Ten. Ten. Yud is? Ten. ten. And noon is? Fifty. Fifty and ten. Ten. Seventy. Sod. Samach is? 60. Vav is 6. And Dalit is 4. 70. Yayin equals Sod. Secret. Amazing. In Hebrew, it's, it's amazing language. Everything fits, matches. So the wine goes in, and the Sod comes out. Secrets come out. Amazing. So the first party, 180 days of drinking. And he had to drink a lot amount. He wants to drunk. So the king's walking around. His messenger's walking around. What does this guy say? What does this guy take him out? <laughs> That was uh, Saddam Hussein would do that. He had a party every year, and and uh, take a guy out. You hear a bullet. You hear the bullet. You hear the bang. Imagine they're sitting in sights like this, and, every, and another one comes out, bang. Another one comes out, bang, and then the rest are quiet for a whole year. Next year, another party. <laughs> that's how he kept his people in check, and that's how Hashverosh was very smart. Party 180 days, make them all drunk, find out what they're thinking. They like him. They don't like him. They don't like him. 
That's the part it doesn't say. But now you can understand how smart this guy was, how devilish he was. And then the second party, you don't have to drink. Why? Because it's not the nobility, it's not the officials. These are your people from Shushan. He wants everyone in Shushan to be on his side. If my capital city is not faithful to me, who's going to be faithful to me? I need the capital city's faithful. I want the, my, the people to be faithful. I'll make a nice party. They'll say, there's no other king like this. It's the best king we ever had. He made a party for us. He gave us, imagine, if Washington, D.C., where today the president is hated in Washington, D.C. Because if he made a party for everyone in his big hotels, the food's on me. <laughs> say, wow, he's a nice guy, right? So that's what happened. That's what the king was so smart. And now Vashti the queen. Who was Vashti? And the answer is she was royalty. She was the royalty in the family. The royal blood came from Vashti, not from him. He was a stable boy. The Talmud says Ahasuerus was a stable boy who usurped the throne, killed the nobility. But his claim to fame was through this woman Vashti. She was from royalty. Vashti the queen. Okay. And she made a feast now, for the women. Who is she related to? She was, she was a direct descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who had destroyed the temple. She was a great-granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar, a daughter of Belshazzar. Some people say it was a daughter of Belshazzar. Belshazzar, we said, uh, was the one who uh, had the writing on the wall. You remember the writing on the wall? Mm-hmm. Belshazzar. So, uh, Thank you. On the seventh day, now, in the first party, it doesn't say that he got drunk. Only in the second party does he get drunk. Why is that? Because he had to worry about them. So 180 days, he was trying to find out who was against him. Right. The second party could relax. These are not the nobility, these are not the officials, these are not the army. The first party could not relax. He never got drunk in the first party. Only in the second party got drunk. His heart was merry with wine. He ordered his... Memuchan, Vizda, Halbona, Bikta, Havata, and Karkas. The seven chamberlains. The rabbis say, yeah. So Vashti was the daughter of Belshazzar and the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. He told his servants to bring Vashti the queen before the king wearing the royal crown to show off to the people and the officials her beauty. So imagine, he's flaunting his wife in public. The Midrash says they had a, they had a imagine all these people, they have a vote. Um, well, they, they get drunk. So having a party, who's the most beautiful woman in the world? He says, my wife is the most beautiful woman in the world. Bring her here. Show off her beauty. But she refused. So there's different ways of understanding this. The Midrash is quite uh, R-rated. Over here, the Midrash is quite R-rated. The Midrash says, bring her here wearing the royal crown. And nothing else. Right. That's what the Midrash says. Very, very... To show off her beauty. But she refused to come. Now, the rabbis say she didn't refuse to come because she was shy. She wasn't shy, this woman. She refused to come because she started getting leprosy. Started getting white spots. That's an interesting midrash. Um, what did she do? But she didn't do anything. The pshat over here was, the pshat over here is it was a power struggle. I'm now going to show who is the boss, me or my wife. Because I am just a commoner and she is royalty. Now I'm going to show you that I'm stronger than her. Imagine. The power struggle in the palace between the king and the queen. <laughs> She says he's a king because of me. I'm royalty. And he says, now I'm going to show you my power of my wife. That she, is, uh, she has to obey my orders. What happened? She refused to obey his orders. She says, I'm the queen. He's a king because he married me. I'm the queen. He should listen to me, not vice versa. So the king got very angry. 
Now we see. So now he's drunk and angry. Right? He should be out of control. Right? What do you think? What do you think he's going to do now? Yeah. Not so fast. He's very smart. See? In the Persian society, the kings could not do exactly what they wanted. They had to find a way. Why? There's laws. It's constitutional monarchy over there. The Persians had a constitution. You cannot break the laws. So look at this. He's drunk and angry. Let's see what's going to happen. And then he brings the officials. He's going to bring the constitutional experts. William Barr and company. You've got to come in now. Because <laughs> it's a law and order. Law and order. He conferred with the experts. Which kind of experts? Call your dead datvedim. People who are knowledgeable in religion and times. Who are these? The Talmud says this was the Sanhedrin. The members of the Sanhedrin. And they said, we don't. We don't have any power today. We're not going to rule on this case. And therefore he called in all his, uh, his own advisors. The seven princes of Parasamadai, who knew all these laws, were his advisors. What should we do according to the law? I want to do things according to the law. Imagine, she has popular support. I can't kill her. All the nation will rebel against me. She's the queen. I want to do something within the law. So they all came in, all his advisors. And one of his advisors was a guy called Memuchan. Who was Memuchan? The rabbis say Haman. The word Muhan means prepared. He was prepared for destruction. So seven princes of Paras and Madai came in to give advice. What should we do to the queen? She didn't do what the king wanted. Imagine. Having a court case now. This is a court case against the queen. She's accused of not listening to the king. So, I mean, it seems cut and dry. right? Queen doesn't listen to the king. Cut and dry. It's not so cut and dry. They didn't want to kill her. She is royal blood. You don't kill royalty. <coughs> Until Haman comes along. Now, Haman is very tricky. He made this into a race dispute, into a sexist dispute. Men against women. Amazing. This is divide and rule. Divide and rule. And Mumukhan said to the king, I'm oh, sorry. It's not only she, she rebelled against the king. She set the tone for the whole country. That what? The women are not going to listen to their husbands. The, this news of the queen will go down to all the women to disgrace their husbands. Okay? And the king said to bring the queen, and the queen refused. In other words, a woman can refuse a husband and get away with it. So this is like a revolution. It's like it smells of revolution. He's making the queen's acts as an act which is going to spark a women's lib movement. Gloria Steinem and company. The female revo- revolution. It's amazing. This is, this is thousands of years ago. This like, could be written yesterday. This is, something which is, this is amazing that, that Persia in those days was so liberal that they were scared now the women's groups are going to take over. And whatever. It's a very strange. Haman makes this whole case blown out of proportion. So therefore why? Because it seems like there's no way for the king to kill her. Legally. He has to invent this whole plot now. It's men against women and women against men. It's, it's strange that the king had limited powers. We see that she, he couldn't kill her. She had a very strong foundation. She had a large support among the people. He couldn't just come along and say, off with the head like Henry VIII. <laughs> he had to do something. And the whole Megillah does not say that he killed her. Interesting. It was like unpopular to kill the queen. Like he couldn't get away with it. It does not say, let's see what they say. It doesn't say anywhere that she was killed. Just exiled. Exiled. 
Okay? So now what? It's going to be a, a war between the men and the women, and you know what? We have to treat her. Let a royal edict from him go, written into the laws of the Persian. He had to pass a new law. That Vashti never again appear before the king. She is banished. According to the Megillah, she was not killed. She was banished, which doesn't make sense. She was banished. And the king should find someone better than her. And let the news go out to all the kingdom that the wives shall show respect to their husbands. Imagine. This is a decree which is impossible to fulfill. Because if he's not nice to her, why is she going to be nice to him? She has to, she has to show him. Bow down to me. No, what do you mean? I have a bunch of all the fights going on in the houses over there. You know, there's a joke that says, uh, And Alex, how you? Oh, good. We have a This man, this man, he felt like he was henpecked. So he goes, he goes to the bookstore and gets a book. Man's obligations at home, how to rule your, your, your household. He reads the book on the train back home. Has to, you have to show confidence. You have to show uh, order. You have to put, uh, he goes home. He says, From now on, my dear, you're going to dress me, you're going to put my shoes on, you're going to polish my shoes, and uh, then it's going on and on and on. She just walks out. <laughs> said, I said, you don't listen to me. He says, no, I'm not going to listen to you. But you know what? Someone's going to do it for you. She said, who? He said, the undertaker. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. You cannot command respect. You cannot command respect. You can, You have to earn respect. It's not something which you can get. You have to earn it. And it's sometimes very hard. People don't realize that. Men don't realize it. Men don't realize that. The res- respect comes from being earned. A woman's got to respect her husband and she has to, she has to love her husband, but you can't force someone to do it. People think, I can do it with a stick. I'll do it with a stick. No, you can't do it with a stick. The Talmud says, very interesting, the Talmud says a person should not put too much fear in his house. You know why? says because in the end his wife will break Shabbat and she'll feed him non-kosher food <laughs> and she'll even go to him Nida no not because she's spite him just because she's scared I'm running late I'm running late he's going to go mad if I don't have his food in time so I'm going to cook on Shabbat I'm running late I'm running late I didn't, I didn't prepare myself for the mikvah I'll go anyway even though I'm not ready because she's scared of him so she'll break there's no kosher food he's going to go mad if I don't get meat in time there's non-kosher food let's get it here now I'm s- she's so scared of him she's going to break all the laws it's terrible. So man is not allowed to put fear in his house. You cannot rule your house. This is stupid. This whole this whole affair between the king, and he makes it into a rule that a man must be the ruler in his house. Imagine what a stupid. But you know what? He got away with it. He he couldn't find a different way to get rid of her. Imagine, she was so popular in the town. So the 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 official decree does not say kill her. The official decree says she is banished. Okay, we'll have to continue. With this story, I don't think we're ever going to finish it, but you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.